Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Grace Church. Look at your neighbor, tell him you're glad to see him in the house of the Lord today. We do welcome you today here on campus. Those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, we're glad you've chosen to make this service a part of your day, and we know you will be blessed by what goes on here today. I do want to take just a quick moment and tell you we had a tremendous, tremendous turnout yesterday for our Move the Mission fundraiser. I want to thank Sister Tanya and Sister Teresa, uh, Brother Joey, Brother Henry, Lisa Ledoux, uh, were our cooks, and then all the students and, and parents and everybody that helped us move the mission. And it was a tremendous success. We sold out completely. And uh, I know it, it turned out, we figured out that there was some, some miscommunication. A lot of you thought the dinner was today. And so all I can tell you is I'm sorry, but it's all gone. And so we'll just have to pick it up next time. But we're, we're just so excited that, we, uh, that it was a success. We sold out and we moved the mission. All proceeds, of course, going to uh, foreign missions. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. And thank you to everyone that worked for all of your hard work. It was a success. A couple of things to remember coming up uh, this Tuesday, August 2nd, first Tuesday prayer will be dismissed. Uh, and then on Wednesday, August the 10th, Kids Church will resume. August the 10th. So not this Wednesday, but next, Kids Church will resume. Can you believe it's back to school time already? All the students just let out a sigh. Um, but it is back to school time, which means we're ramping back up with Kids Church. Uh, we'll be announcing uh, soon. We'll be picking back up with youth service. And so all those things are exciting. We're looking forward to what God has for us this semester, this fall, for our kids and, and students. And then mark your calendars on August the 14th, uh, which I believe by my reckoning is two weeks from today. And I see the sign, Brother Greg Albritton is going to be with us. But, but also what I was going to say on my notes is that we're having a baked goods sale. So another Move the Mission um, fundraiser will be a baked goods sale. This is not going to be an auction like before. We're actually just going to have everything out in the uh, Grand Central and you'll be able to peruse the merchandise and uh, and pick you something out good to eat and, and purchase it with all proceeds going to mission. So mark your calendar for, for Sunday, August the 14th for that. Are you ready to worship the Lord? Amen. The praise team is going to lead us in that direction right now. Would you stand with me? And let's just take a moment to welcome the presence of God here as the praise team comes. Jesus, we worship you. We welcome you. We're here to praise you. Have your way in Jesus' name. I was Shame, and who could carry that kind of weight? It was my turn till I met you. I was breathing, but My failures I tried to hide. It was my dream till I. Stay. 
Come on this morning, Grace Church. He's a great God, which means he is deserving of great praise. We can go ahead and get started right now. We don't have to wait for those days in heaven. We can go ahead and tell him right now here today, God, I think you're great. I think you're amazing. You're the most awesome thing that's ever happened to me in my life. There's no God like you. There's no God beside you. You are without compare. You are the most high. You are the most exalted. Every bit of praise, every bit of glory, every bit of honor that I can pour out to you today, this breath that you have given me, I'm going to return back to you as praise. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. My highest praise to you, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you today, Grace Church. Thank you, praise team. Rest of you, you can go back to your seats, but just stay right where you are. Just uh, remain standing. We're going to get into the word of the Lord right away. But I do want to say before I begin, um, preachers say this all of the time uh, about how honored they are to be uh, in a pulpit. And I think a lot of times it becomes cliche. But it's not. Um, whenever you stand behind a pulpit, and especially whenever it's at your home church with people that know you, um, but also love you, it is an honor. And I consider it a, a great blessing to be able to bring the word of the Lord to you today. So, Grace Church, I love you. And thank you for this chance to be able to speak to you today. Let's go to the book of John, chapter 4. And we are going to look at verses 46 through 53 in the gospel of John and I'm going to read today from the NIV it says once more he being Jesus visited Cana and Galilee where he had turned the water into wine so Jesus has a history here in Cana see he was attending a wedding there some time ago and they ran out of wine and so to save the host and the wedding party, the embarrassment of a major cultural faux pas, and to keep the party going, I like that part of Jesus, he turns these six big clay water pots into some top shelf, high quality wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. Capernaum was about 20 miles from where Jesus was in Cana so this royal official had come quite a ways to see Jesus and when this man had heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death verse 48 Jesus said unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. One translation said it this way. It said, Jesus put him off. Unless you people are dazzled by a miracle, you just refuse to believe. But the court official wouldn't be put off. He said, come down because it's life or death for my son. He had a serious need. So verse 50, go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. Watch this next part. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. 
And while he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, well, it was yesterday at one in the afternoon when the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. We're going to pray before we get into it today, but I want to let you know that today I'm going to be talking to you and bringing a challenge. I want to talk to you about the challenge of a long-distance miracle. Let's pray together. Lord, you see every heart that is here today. You, you see every heart that's watching via live stream. You know the needs and every life. Lord, you know what they need to hear. Jesus, what I'm praying today is that they won't just hear the words of man, but they will hear your voice, encouraging them, challenging them, and calling them to walk in faith according to what you have said. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at your neighbor. Give him a fist bump. Tell him I'm going to help him today. Yeah, that was a little weak. Maybe you'll get on board by the time we're done, but God bless you. You can be seated. Anybody here ever finds yourself about halfway through doing something and realize that it's going to take a lot more effort than what you initially thought whenever you first started? Anybody? And even though you've made some progress... Since you started working, you, you realize you still have a long way to go before you're even going to be close to being finished. I mean, whenever you first looked at it and got going, you thought, oh, this, this, it's not going to be so bad. I can do this, no problem. It's not going to take any time at all. And then you got to work. But at some point, you looked up and you realize that you either way overestimated your capacity or you way underestimated the requirements of the task. Y'all ever have something like that? Y'all ever have something like that? Maybe it was a school project or, or a work project. And whenever you first started, there was a lot of excitement. And you had plenty of people around to help, and, and, and there was this buzz, and everybody had clearly defined roles, and you had your smart goals in place, and everybody knew what they were doing, so it was going to be so easy, it was going to be so awesome, and then reality set in, and the complications started popping up. I see some smiles. Somebody here knows what I'm talking about today, and all of those people that were so excited, they done disappeared, and you all by yourself. And what seems so quick and so easy to attain at first, and what had all of this energy and all this momentum at first, it's just turned into a long, hard grind with no end in sight. And it might not even be doable at this point because you've got such a long way to go. Y'all ever had something like that? Yeah, maybe it was a, maybe it was a home improvement project. Or maybe it was a little restoration project you were going to work on. I'm going to tell on myself here a little bit. that It's just tearing out some tiles and moving a faucet. I mean, how hard can that be, right? 
it's just a 60-year-old desktop fan that's been sitting in the barn for the past two decades. I mean, we're just going to completely disassemble it and do a little bit of sanding and painting, right? I mean, how hard can that be? That's a piece of cake. That's what you thought at first. But then several hundreds, maybe even thousands of dollars later, and a whole month worth of weekends later, and maybe a few words that you're not too proud to admit to later, you're still not finished. Come on, somebody. Y'all ever had something like that? Have you, have you ever gotten yourself into something and realized in the middle of it that it was just too much and you had too far to go? Man, I have had my share of those. You'd think that I would learn at some point. But sometimes we just don't know what we're getting into, do we? That's how, uh, that's how I felt at my first cross-country meet. So I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory. I know y'all have a hard time believing this now, but uh, at one point I was too skinny and too slow for football, too, too skinny to be on the line and too slow for somebody to give me the ball, and I was way too uncoordinated for basketball. So I ran track and cross country. And, and I, I hated it for the most part. I didn't like it. I, I just did it to have something to do. I, I did it because I was bored. I did it because I had friends involved. I did it because I knew that my dad was going to give me chores in the afternoon after school, and this was a, kind of a great way to get out of that. I was just, I guess I was just dumb enough to get out there and grind it out because I was a distance runner, see, and, and, and uh, you know, the, in track, the, the sprinters, their practice, coach would say, all right, sprinters, 100 meter, 200 meter, you're going to practice coming out of the blocks, and that's what they would do. They would get over there, and they'd kneel down in the block, and coach would blow the whistle, and they would do that about 20 times, and that's it. Their practice was done. They'd go home. Jumpers. They would get out there and jump. The long jump, triple jump, group, group, group. They'd do their jumps, and they'd do that for 30 minutes, an hour, and they'd go home. Throwers, man, the discus guys and the javelin guys and the shot put guys, they're just over there throwing stuff in the middle of the field. They're having a good time. Distance guys, six miles, Monday through Thursday. That's what we did. We went out and ran six miles. Four days a week. On Friday, though, we got a break. Only three miles on Friday. Yeah. I guess just being dumb got me a spot on the team. I didn't know any better, especially whenever it came to cross country. Now, for those of you that don't know, running cross country means basically that you run a long way, but you run a long way through wet grass and up hills and through mud. And I can still remember as a sophomore in high school, I was on the varsity cross-country team. That tells you how desperate they were to fill out their varsity team. And I can remember going to that first cross-country meet at Highland Road Park, and I'm out there just trudging along. My feet are wet. My nose is running. And the only reason that I know where to go is because there's a lot of dudes in front of me. And I'm somewhere on the backside of this field somewhere following this path of trampled weeds and grass trying desperately to stay in front of this guy that looks like he wiped out a whole Shoney's buffet that morning 
and I hear, all of a sudden, I hear all of this noise. These people screaming and yelling. I didn't know what was going on. I just kept running. I just knew I had a long way to go, so I just kept plodding. And about seven or eight minutes later, I come around this stand of trees, and I realize that all of that yelling and screaming that I had heard, Brother Dave, was for the people at the finish line screaming for the guys that were finishing. Back there, whenever I still had at least another mile, maybe a little more to go. You talk about demoralizing? You talk about make you feel bad about yourself. I mean, I'm out there just trying to finish, and these guys are killing it. They're running 3.1 miles before I can finish two. So next weekend, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. Why pile on a school bus at 6 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday to go puke my guts up wearing wet shoes when I couldn't even compete? That's, just, that's too far. It's too much. So that next weekend when I heard all of that screaming and yelling again, and I knew that those other dudes were finishing, but I still had a long way to go. And that buffet killer was back there breathing, breathing down my neck. Because see, now I knew how far I had left to go. And that distance just seemed like, it seemed like too much to me. I didn't want anything to do with it. I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit. Mom wouldn't let me because she had bought those expensive running shoes. So I was going to use them. But why bother, man? I mean, why even try? Why run? Because that distance was too much for me. I mean, yeah, I could finish, and I was going to finish, but it wasn't going to be pretty. I sure wasn't going to finish in style like those part man, part antelope guys that were placing. Anybody ever felt that way? Have you, you ever felt like the distance was just, just too much? Like the distance between where you are and where you need to be, the distance between where you are, especially compared to where other people are, the distance between where you are in the middle of your problem or in the middle of your struggle and the answer or the solution was just too much. Anybody else ever felt that way? For everybody here that's struggling with perceived distance today, and for everybody that came into Grace Church this morning feeling like God is just a million miles away, I sure hope you'll lean in and listen for the next few minutes. You see, we Christians, we struggle with distance perception quite a bit. Yeah, we do. Especially whenever it comes to walking with Jesus. It's a proximity problem. We want to feel like God is close. Y'all hang with me right here and pay attention. We want to feel like God is close. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that feeling like God is just right there with you, man. You got God in your pocket. Jesus is right there beside you. He's holding your hand. He's carrying you like footprints on the beach or whatever. Like there's nothing wrong with that feeling. I kind of like that feeling quite a bit myself. There's nothing wrong with it until 
we start talking and acting faithlessly when we feel like he isn't close. That's whenever it becomes a problem. We want to feel like he's close. And we, we put so much value on that feeling that we will put limitations on God based on our feeling in the moment. We almost idolize that feeling of God's closeness. We, we sing songs about it. Old timers, just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close with thee. Let it be, dear Lord. Let it be. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord. To the cross where thou hast died. It's not just the old timers. New timers, we sing them too. I want to sit at your feet. Drink from the cup in your hand. Lay back against you and breathe. Feel your heartbeat, oh it's so close. Here in your presence. We are undone. We'll pep it up a little bit. Closer and closer, we want to know you. Reaching out, reaching out. Here in your presence, we want to go deep. I will look like an idiot for you people. I love you that much. <laughs> but we do. We sing those songs. And I'm not saying we shouldn't sing those songs. Man, I love all of those songs. I'll probably love the new one that just dropped yesterday that I haven't heard yet. I like songs about being close to God. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't want to be closer to Him either. You should. We should want to be. You get as close to Jesus as you can. You get close. You live danger close. Get danger close to Jesus and live there. That's good. We should want that. But what I am saying is, that many of us have come to associate our perception of God's proximity with our ability to believe in His power. We've come to believe that whenever I can sense Him as close to me, then good and mighty things can happen. But when I perceive a distance between where I am and where I believe God to be, then all of a sudden those same good and mighty things become unattainable. And that's just bad theology. That's not Bible. And some of that probably isn't our fault. Some of it probably is not our fault because we tend to emphasize the miracles of Jesus that happened up close in our teaching, in our preaching, in our preaching. Guilty. And look, there's no denying that God does some amazing things when he's close. Jesus healed lepers by touching them. In Matthew 8. That's pretty close. He touched them. Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He went to their house. He was close. Jesus got into the boat with the disciples and calmed the storm that was raging around them. He was right there. He was right there in the boat with him. That's, that's close. The woman with the issue of blood. 
who, had, who tried for 12 years to be healed, and, but she touched the hem of his garment and received her healing. She touched his clothes. You touching somebody's clothes, that's, that's kind of close. <laughs> One time, Jesus healed a deaf man by putting his fingers in that man's ears. That's really close. And all of these miracles from Scripture, when Jesus is close by, incredible things happen. Miracles take place. Infirmities that have, that have latched onto people just disappear. And afflictions that have lasted for years are gone in an instant. They brought people to Him. Sometimes they even tore a hole in the roof to get somebody with a need close to Jesus. You sick with a fever? Get her to Jesus. Legs don't work? Get in the presence of Jesus. You can't see? Man, get to Jesus. He'll spit in some dirt and make some mud and put it in your eye. He's going to get real close and it's going to be a little weird. Just get close to Jesus. You're going through a storm? Call out to Jesus. Get Jesus in your boat. He's going to make it better. And we read those stories and preach those miracles. And somewhere along the way, we start to think that proximity is the key to Jesus moving on our behalf. But what if I'm the person who's sitting here today and I feel like God is a billion light years away from where I am? And I can't see Him. And I can't hear him. And there's no evidence that he is anywhere close to me. And I've been living the best I can live. Been trying to make all the right changes and put all the right things in place, Jason. I've been praying. I've been in the word. I've been seeking God. Been asking for wisdom. I've been searching. But no matter what I do... Instead of God feeling close, it feels like He is farther away from me than He's ever been. What then? Come on, somebody. Where's my hope? What hope do I have? Because if God isn't close, what then? Because when we feel distance from God, when we perceive a distance between where we are and where he is. When we, I can still hear Curtis Young. When the heavens are made of brass. You remember that? And whenever it feels like your prayers go no higher than the ceiling. You know, those, those things have become cliche, but they're cliche for a reason. Because they're true. We really do feel that way sometimes. When we look around and we can find no evidence of his closeness. Job talked about it in Job 23. Job, Job said, behold, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work. I know God works over there. I've seen him working that way before. But Job said, I cannot behold him. And he, he hideth himself on the right hand. God, you are, you are hiding from me. Y'all ever felt like God was hiding from you? Job did. He said, I cannot see him. 
So where's our hope? Where's our miracle? Where's our breakthrough? Where's my chance at restoration when there's a distance that just seems too far? Well, the first thing I want you to understand, I I know how you feel. I'm not just preaching it. I've been living it. I know how you feel. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus is closer than you think. He really is. He is closer than you think. Jesus is close. Somebody hear me today. Jesus is closer to you right now in this moment. Not this season of life you're in. I mean this moment. Jesus is closer to you than he was even to the disciples that watched him perform all of those miracles we talked about earlier. Jesus is closer to you right now in this moment than he was even to the people that he healed in the New Testament. John 14, Jesus is, uh, Jesus is comforting the disciples and he's, what he's doing is he is preparing them for the fact that he's going away soon. And in John 14, verses 15 through 18, he said, he said to him, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, Jesus. And he said, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Jesus is talking to them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. It hadn't been poured out yet because Jesus had not yet been crucified. But he tells them, even the spirit of truth, that's who's coming, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. Watch, you know who I'm talking about because he dwelleth with you. Here I am. I've been with you. We've been together for the past three years. It's the same one. He dwelleth with you, but watch this next part. And shall be what? In you. Say it again. Shall be what? In you. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to come to you. He was talking to his disciples about his eventual crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. And then eventual outpouring of the Holy Ghost that we talk about in Acts chapter 2. He said, guys, you think think we're close now? Because we've been hanging out for the past three and a half years. (laughs) You just wait. You wait, because you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm not just going to be with you, but I am going to be in you. And it's one of the most striking truths of this whole exchange is that Jesus was preparing his disciples for the fact that a, a time of perceived distance was actually necessary before they could even accept how close to them he really intended to be. I'm going to say that again. Jesus was preparing them for the fact that there was going to be a time of perceived distance that would actually be necessary before they could even accept how close he really wanted to be to them. Guys, you, you're going to feel like you're going to feel like I'm far away for a time. You're going to feel like the distance has increased, but that's just necessary preparation for how close I really wanted to be this entire time that we've been together. Look, Jesus came to earth, took on flesh, and lived as a man so he could eliminate the distance between God and man, not so he could perpetuate it. 
on the day Jesus was crucified, we, we talk about this. You Bible scholars, you'll know. On the day Jesus was crucified, the veil in the temple was rent, top to bottom. That veil had stood for centuries as a barrier between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the courtyard and the parts of the temple. It was a barrier between the presence of God and man. It had existed since the, the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness throughout Solomon's temple. And now we're in the time of Herod's temple whenever Jesus is crucified. And whenever he died, the scripture says that that veil was torn from top to bottom. And we often celebrate, watch me, we will often celebrate that miracle as this symbolic gesture from God. That now filthy, sinful, rebellious man has a way into the kingdom, and now has access to the presence of a holy, just, sinless God. Almost like God is saying, well, I'll be here waiting. Now that y'all finally are acceptable and lovable because of my sacrifice, I'm going to make a way for you to come in and you can come in and see me now. And we can mend this distance. Grace Church, I don't think that sounds like God at all. He didn't rip that veil from top to bottom to show us that we can now dare to venture into his presence. It sounds a lot more to me like a merciful and loving and passionate God to imagine that veil being torn because he was finally busting out. Now he can get close to the creation that he loves and he's been separated from for so long because of the ultimate sacrifice that had been paid for sin. So, man, I, I think it's great that you think you've got a way in. That's awesome. But make no mistake about it this morning. Your willingness and longing to get into him does not hold a candle to the passionate yearning that he has to get close to you. He's closer than you think. I know how it feels. But scripture bears it out. He wants to be close to you. He came to resolve our distance perception problems. No matter how it feels. But sometimes it still feels that way, doesn't it? Jason, I, I know all of that. I've heard all of that before. I, I know he's not just with me, he's in me. I've heard that. I, I know that he came to eliminate the distance between man and God. I know all of this stuff. It sounds good, man. I even believe it. But sometimes, it just doesn't feel that way. So what do I do then? Well, I'm going to tell you. You have to manage the challenge, the tension, 
of a long-distance miracle. Now let me preach my sermon. Y'all relax. I know what time it is. It's the challenge of a long-distance miracle. That's what this nobleman in John 4 had to do. He had to manage the tension of the distance between his problem and the solution. He had to manage the challenge of Jesus. And for him, it wasn't just a feeling. For him, it it was a real thing. He had to manage the challenge of Jesus being in one place and his need being in another. I've been talking about feeling today. This guy wasn't just operating on feeling. It was a real thing for him. Look at it. Our text says that Jesus was in Cana in Galilee, but the nobleman lived in Capernaum. The distance between Capernaum and Cana is no less than 20 miles. That's a, that's a day's walk. Capernaum, actually pronounced Kefir Nahum. We say it wrong. Kefir, meaning village. Nahum, meaning comfort. Kefir Nahum is the village of comfort or the village of the comforted. So his need is so great. And he is so desperate over his need. He's he's leaving the place of comfort. His son is dying, so he leaves his place of comfort and sets out to find Jesus. I'm trying. I'm trying. So one day and 20 miles later, he finally gets to where Jesus is. Now watch this, because this is where it gets good. The nobleman finally gets to Jesus, and Scripture says in verse 47, he begged, he urged, he pleaded, he besought, he asked vehemently, giving you all the definitions of the word, he begged to come and heal his son who was close to death. Jesus, you, you, got, you got to come. You got to come. You got to come heal my son. He's close to dying. Jesus, you don't understand how desperate this is. You don't understand how bad it is. You don't know what he looked like this morning whenever I left. Jesus, you got to come with me. You got to come to my house. And you got to do that thing that you do whenever you get close to sick people, Jesus. You got to do that thing that you do whenever there's a need and you get close. Jesus, you got to come with me. And look, this man, he had more than just a seed of faith. He had more than just a seed of faith. Because he's saying, Jesus, I know that if you will come with me and get close to the need that I have, then you can do something about it. That's more than a seed of faith. It might not be a full-blown plant, but it's a bud. It's a bud of faith that he's got. Jesus, just come with me. And I know you can do it. To which Jesus says, in verse 48, you people... Not quite the response I was hoping for. You people, you just won't believe unless you see a sign. You got to see something wonderful. You got to see some kind of evidence or you just can't believe in me. You listen to what Jesus is saying here. He's saying you people have to perceive it. You got to see it. You got to have evidence of it or you just don't believe it. It's starting to get old. Jesus sounds a little aggravated to me. 
I mean, what else do I need to do to prove myself to you at this point? Somebody listen to me. How many more lepers do I need to heal? How many more lame legs do I need to fix? How many more blind eyes do I need to open? How many more words and demonstrations of power are you going to need before you believe that I am who I said I am? What else do you need? And the nobleman, man, I love this. He can't even argue. Verse 49, he said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus, I can't even argue with you. You're probably right, Lord. Jesus, you're probably right. I'm probably approaching it all wrong. Just whatever. Just come with me before my son dies. I just have to get you, the healer. I just have to get you the provider. I just have to get you the solution and the answer. I've got to get you into the same room with my needs so you can do something about it. And now here it is. Verse 50. Go. Jesus replied. Your son will live. Not not spitting in the dirt and making mud, not angels, nothing, no, no, no lightning crack across the sky and thunder. Just go, your son will live. Notice the distance didn't change. Jesus stayed in Cana. The sick boy was still back home in Capernaum. The distance didn't change. That man still had to turn around and walk 20 miles back home. And now that daddy has a decision to make. Much like some of the people that are in this room this morning. Do I take Jesus at his word and turn around and start walking back home? Or do I stay stuck here in this place and keep begging and pleading and urging for him to do something different because I can't see any change from where I am? It is good. Jesus isn't walking home with me. Jesus isn't going home with me. He's not going to do the same thing he did for Jairus and go stand in a room and raise her up. He's not getting any closer to my need and there is no change that I can see. So is that it? Is that enough? Jesus just said, he just said, go home, he'll live. Seriously? From all the way over here, from this far away, that's how the job gets done? That's my miracle? And now, now I just, what, I just start walking home? 
Oh, I want somebody to listen right now because you have been asking yourself the same questions. Is that enough? Did you really just say that to me, Jesus? Is that enough? Because the distance hasn't changed. And as far as I can tell, Jesus still isn't in the room with my needs. So is that going to be enough? Do I have enough to go on? Is this really my miracle? Is this what it's going to look like? I want to tell you, yes. Yes, it is enough. No matter what the distance might be that you perceive between your need and God, this is your notice. This is the word that you've been waiting on. What you have received is enough. You can start walking. You don't have to wait on anything else. This is it. It's done. I don't know what else you're waiting on, but that's the punchline of the sermon. God wants somebody to know what you already have heard and what you have already received in spite of what you see, in spite of what you feel. This is enough. I wish somebody would activate their faith. You see, what we're dealing with right here, what we're dealing with right here is the challenge of a long-distance miracle. It doesn't look like anything's changed. Man, I get it. But the bud of faith that I have says... It doesn't have to look a certain way. It doesn't have to feel a certain way, Brother Jeremy. And what I see as distance is nothing to my God. What I look at and I say, man, this has got a long way to go. I didn't realize what I was getting into. I didn't, it's got a long way to go. Where my kids are. And where God is, man, that's a huge distance. I, I don't know. Where my marriage is at today and where God is, I just I don't know if it can happen. What's going on in my body and the report that I received from the doctor this week, Jason, you don't know. That mess that's happening at work and keeps happening, and I don't know what to do. What I perceive as a distance that's just too far. God, you look at it and you say, it's okay. It's done. Now just start walking. Oh, hallelujah. See, the challenge of a long-distance miracle isn't whether or not God can give you one. The challenge of a long-distance miracle is whether or not you have enough faith to act on it. In spite of what you don't see. That's the challenge of a long distance miracle. I hope somebody here can respond to the challenge today. And that you'll actually start walking on the word that you do have. The distance you perceive. The distance that you perceive does not have as much power as the God that gave you that word in the first place. Y'all stand with me this morning. Anytime I'm, a little bit of transparency here, but anytime I'm prepping a sermon, I always try to ask myself, well, what do I want them to know? 
And what do I want them to do? It's just the teacher in me, I suppose. Too many years of writing lesson plans. So what I want you to know today is that God can still do something amazing for you no matter how you perceive the distance to be because he's closer than you think. No matter how you feel in this moment, he is closer than you think. I want you to know that the word you already have is enough. That the bud of faith that you have is well-founded when it's grounded in Jesus. It's what I want you to know. And as for what I want you to do, well, I want you to have that deep emotional connection to God in this altar today. We need those moments. We need those moments where we connect with God emotionally. Because in those moments, He speaks to us. And He heals things in our heart. So I, I want you to do that today. But I also want to challenge the way that you're going to live on Monday. And Tuesday. And the day after that. I want you to talk like you've got a long-distance miracle. I want you to walk like you've got a long-distance miracle. I may not be able to sense him. I may not be able to hear him. I may not be able to see him, and I have no evidence that he's in the room, but that's okay because he can speak a word from anywhere, and I know it will be enough. You know, Jesus performed more than just one long-distance miracle. He performed at least four that I can find in the Gospels. Some other scholar may say that there's more, but he healed the nobleman's son in John 4. He healed the centurion's servant in Matthew 8. Then he delivered the Syrophoenician woman's daughter in Mark 7. And he healed ten lepers that it says in Luke 17, they cried out to him from a distance. Each one of those miracles, they, they've all got their own unique insights to unpack. But throughout all four, throughout all four, there's one theme that remains constant. In all four of those long distance miracles, at some point, the people requesting Jesus to move on their behalf had to take Jesus at his word and start walking. I could go through each one and show it to you. But for each one, there came a moment, a moment of decision where they had to manage the challenge of their long-distance miracle and start walking based on what Jesus had said. And it's no different for you today. It's no different for me. At some point, I have to make a decision and start walking based on the word that he's spoken to me from a distance. As they start to sing today, I want to encourage you, just like them, just like them, just like these people in these four miracles, they had no visible evidence of change. And even though they, even though Jesus didn't get any closer to their need, 
they still started walking like it was already done. They met the challenge of a long-distance miracle with their actions. So that's what I'm going to ask you today to do, to do today as well. I want you to meet the challenge of your long-distance miracle by taking a first step. I know you're going to have to take some more steps tomorrow and next week and next month. I know there's going to be more steps, but let today be the beginning. Let today be the first step. I'm going to go ahead and step out. God, I know what you've spoken to me. I know what you said. And I'm going to tell you right here today that, God, what you said to me is enough. I don't have to have a sign. I don't have to have a wonder. God, you don't have to flash lightning across the sky for me. What you've already spoken is enough. It's enough. And I'm going to live like it. I'm going to walk like it. I'm going to talk like it. It's a long-distance miracle, and there's challenges involved with it. Jesus, it's enough.
We believe.